This morning, we finish up our series on some of the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew in the 13th chapter. Jesus began those parables saying, it's like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of Luke always calls it the kingdom of God. We sometimes call it God's reign or God's rule. And one person uh, I know says it's God's dreams of how the world would be. In Matthew 13, Jesus first describes the kingdom of heaven as like a farmer, the sower, who scattered seed abundantly. And so two weeks ago, I encouraged us to make like the sower, to make like God, and to go out and to... uh, Scatter grace like there's no tomorrow because, in fact, we know there is a tomorrow and it's in God's hands. And next, uh, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God like a field that has both wheat and weeds growing up in it together. And then Steve invited us to consider that perhaps the wheat and the weeds are not necessarily the good people and the bad people. But perhaps, just perhaps, there is wheat and weeds in each of us and that God works within each of us and will ultimately sort us all out. This morning, we're going to look at a a few of the other parables that are again in that chapter and all talk about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Jesus says. So follow along with me as I read from Matthew chapter 13. He, Jesus, told another parable to them, and this was to the crowd. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky can come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour. And the yeast has worked its way through all the dough. The kingdom of heaven is is like a treasure that someone hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. I think it should say uncovered. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl and went and sold all that he owned and he bought it. This is the word of God for the people of God and God's people say, thanks be to God. So I invite you this morning to pray for me and sharing this message with you as I pray for you that God will speak a word into your heart this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, Jesus says, and the yeast, just a small amount of yeast used to leaven a bushel 
of flour. That's a lot of flour. Jesus is teaching the crowds what God's reign is like, what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, at first pass, these parables may seem to be pretty simple. The kingdom of heaven starts small and grows into something that is magnificent. It's like a small seed which grows into a mighty tree or like a little leaven kneaded into the dough to make it swell to an extravagant size. That comparison alone is, is inspiring and exciting and, and I want to be a part of a kingdom of, of God that's like that. And yet, taking a closer look, we realize that Jesus' first parable might be a little bit like a fish tail. With a wink and a nod, he says, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Now, it's small, but we know it's not the smallest of all seeds. And he says it grows into the greatest of all shrubs. In fact, growing into a tree into which all kinds of birds can come and rest in its branches. Here you see an image of the mustard plant. But the crowds would have known that, that a mustard seed doesn't grow into the greatest of all trees. It doesn't. They also would have known that Jesus was probably alluding to the prophet Daniel and the vision that he had of a towering tree standing in the center of the earth so abundant that, that the birds could nest in its branches and all could be fed by its fruit. Jesus may, in fact, be, be saying that, that God's reign is like the massive cedars of Lebanon that provide rest and give shade. And yet he uses the image of the mustard bush. And in doing so, he makes the point that God's greatness, God's kingdom, doesn't always come in the ways that we might first expect you see, the mustard plant is not something that a farmer would have planted intentionally in that day. The mustard plant was, in fact, a weed. It was kind of like an invasive species. In our modern day, it could be compared to something like crabgrass or, better yet, kudzu. Yes, kudzu. True, the kingdom of God starts small and, and has a massive spread, but its greatness doesn't come in the way that we would necessarily anticipate. This is sometimes how God works in the world. God's reign doesn't come like a mighty tree, but an invasive mustard bush. The parable of the yeast is also kind of convoluted. When we think of a woman kneading yeast into dough, we get this warm, fuzzy feeling, right? It's just a very hospitable image. It starts with something small, probably more akin to a sourdough starter than a packet of yeast from the grocery store. And then she mixes it with a bushel of wheat flour. Three measures, the New Revised Standard Version says, a bushel, the, the Common English Bible says, that is a boatload of flour. 
actually 60 pounds of flour. And she must have been baking for a, an enormous feast because that would make 91 pound loaves of bread. 90. Again, comparing the kingdom of heaven to something that, that starts small and then swells into great abundance. But whereas we think of yeast as, as something that makes dough rise, not so in the time of Jesus. It wasn't thought of as something good. Yeast was often used as a symbol, get this, for sin and corruption. Remember, kitchens were thoroughly cleaned before the Jewish Sabbath so as to not be contaminated, contaminated by any leaven. In Matthew 6, 16, Jesus warned the disciples, saying, watch out and be on your guard for the yeast of the scribes and Pharisees. The sin, the corruption of the scribes and Pharisees. Tom Long points it out this way, saying, uh, when we say, uh, when, when, when they say a little yeast leavens the loaf, it would be akin to us saying, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Yeast was considered that which corrupts and spoils, making matters worse. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is, is like yeast which a woman, woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour. She didn't put it in openly. She hid it, implying something perhaps deceptive. All of this adds up to comparing the kingdom of God to a hidden agent that infiltrates the world and transforms it into an abundant feast. Because if our world is corrupt, then sometimes it needs to be infiltrated in such a way that God can then bring about transformation. Abundance from the smallest of seeds. Miraculous growth from a trash bush to the bread, to the tree of life. Bread to feed the multitudes from corrupt leaven. If the kingdom of God is like that and it can grow and it can transform like that, then no wonder the next two parables talk about people gladly selling all that they have to receive that kind of treasure. So whereas the first two parables are about who God is and, and how God works in the world, the next two parables are about who we are and how we are invited to respond. The first man is likely a poor man, perhaps something like a, a tenant farmer. He's not looking for anything. He doesn't own the field. He's just working, for the, fee working the field when, when he comes across this treasure. I guess he's plowing and he strikes gold. So he comes across it completely unexpectedly. But of course, once he finds it, he's willing to sell everything that he has to be able to buy this one field, this one great treasure. The second man is a, a pearl merchant. He's on a hunt searching for the world's finest pearl. 
unlike the first man, he knows what he's looking for, and he knows its value when he finds it. And yet he too is willing to sell all that he has in order to buy this one pearl. The point, of course, is that the, hev- the kingdom of heaven is like that. When people experience it, when, when it opens their eyes, when it infiltrates their hearts, they are so overwhelmed that nothing will keep them from embracing it. You know, this week we saw the video about Cairo's prison ministry, and, and I've been thinking about that. And in doing that, I remembered a story that I had read several years ago in a column by Jim Wallace. He's a theologian, author, teacher, activist. He was sharing that he had attended a graduation ceremony in the infamous Sing Sing prison in Ossining, New York. The New York Theological Seminary offers a program of theological studies leading to a master's of professional studies all within the walls of the prison. Apparently, that seminary has graduated hundreds of inmates who have gone into ministry, both inside the prison and outside when they have returned to their own communities. Wallace talked about being invited by several of the inmates to have a discussion as a part of, of, of this degree that they were seeking because they were discussing a book that he had written. And um, he, he said they were, they were trying to talk about schedule, and he said, so, you know, what, what evening would you be free so that I could come and, and have this book discussion? And one of the inmates said, well, we're usually free most evenings. When he got there, in one of those discussions, uh, he remembers one man saying, most of us at Sing Sing come from one of four or five neighborhoods in New York City. It's like a train. You get on that train in my neighborhood when you are nine or ten years old, and the train ends up here at Sing Sing. But that man had experienced conversion. He had experienced the kingdom of heaven. And he was enrolled in training to be a pastor. And he was committed to, being, to going back out into the community where he lived before and making a difference. At the end of the evening, he stopped Wallace on his way out and said, when I get out, I'm going back and I'm going to stop that train. Sure enough, years later, uh, Wallace was at a town meeting in New York City, and he was speaking about poverty, and, and you guessed it, who got up to lead the meeting but two of the men that he had met at Sing Sing that night. And when he came back to speak at the graduation for those who were graduating with their master's in professional studies, One of the people that he met was running a drug rehab program in New York City and was the newly installed pastor at one of a church in one of the toughest neighborhoods in Queens. At the graduation, one inmate, uh, Theo, was chosen by his peers to give the student reflection. 
Theo spoke of the school of hard knocks, the school um, which has three areas of study, street education, peer pressure, and ghetto economics. And he said that you have to graduate from the school of hard knocks in order to be able to get into this program with the New York Theological Seminary. And then Theo went on to say, the greatest lesson of my life is that no one is beyond redemption. That is what sustained me, he said. That is what motivated me. And that is what brought me to where I am today. Redeemed. Redeemed. You know, that, that word redeemed comes from the same Greek word, by. So when we know the precious gift of the kingdom of God, we're willing to do anything to buy it. Likewise, Jesus Christ, out of his precious love for us, was willing to do anything to buy the kingdom of heaven for us, to redeem us. So it's probably no, no coincidence that these parables about the mustard seed immediately follow the parable of the wheat and the weeds, actually sit between the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the explanation of the wheat and the weeds. Without a doubt, we all have the presence of both wheat and weeds in our lives. And in God's goodness, God will sort us out in the end will sort each of us and our hearts out in the end. And also, God might even miraculously transform the weeds to accomplish the work of God's kingdom. God might work through them and transform them. And we might say even redeem them. After all, if God can use a mustard weed and corrupt leaven to grow the kingdom, just imagine, just imagine what God can do with you and with me. Let's pray together. Oh God, amazing and good God that you are. You continually show us the kingdom of heaven by taking something small, something considered corrupt or backwater, and turning it into something that redeems. After all, O oh God, you came in the form of a tiny infant who, although fully divine, was also fully human. And through his life and death and resurrection, 
you have redeemed us. You will redeem us, us if we but, but just open our hearts. If we open our eyes to see, if we open our hearts so that you can infiltrate inside of us, so that you can take over every nook and cranny and grow us into who you want us to be. So God, this morning, sitting right where we are, we give our lives to you again, perhaps even for the first time, and ask you to, to grow us from something small, something insignificant, into something amazing for the kingdom of God. For you to take all the, the rough and weedy parts of our lives and transform them. Transform them into something good so that we too can be about the kingdom of heaven on earth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.